Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Mark chapter 2 is where we are. We're going to be here about three weeks or more. Mark the second chapter. Now I want to assure you of something. Uh, Mark chapter 2 is not about the church. The church is not in Mark chapter 2. The church is not on the scene in Mark chapter 2. The church is not founded in Mark chapter 2. So everyone look at me and assure me that you understand that Dr. White knows the church is not present in Mark chapter 2, all right? However, there are some truths and some applications that we can draw from Mark chapter 2 that I believe are relevant and that will help us in the 21st century church. We sing sometimes, or I remember singing as a child, every day with Jesus is what? Sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love Him more and more. Well, the reality is that if you and I had been alive when Jesus walked and moved and ministered, and if we had been one of those individuals that walked and moved and ministered with Jesus, we would have probably concluded that every day with Jesus was tiresome, that it was extremely busy, and that we went from one thing to the other, and oftentimes there wasn't even time for us to sit and eat. Do you remember the number of times that Jesus had to say to his disciples, come apart and rest, because they were constantly on the go. Mark chapter 1 shares with us just one day in the life of Jesus. And it was a day that was extremely busy. He's calling disciples. He's casting out demons. He's communicating doctrine. And he is curing disease. He's going from one event to the next event to the next event to the next event. And now we come to Mark chapter 2. And it begins, And again he entered Capernaum, and after some days... And it was heard, noised, or reported that he was in the house. Now, whose house is it? We really don't know. I read someone that said that he was home. Now, that is not in keeping with the whole context of Scripture, is it? No, it isn't. Jesus, after Jesus entered his ministry, didn't have a home. 
He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Now, some say it's Peter's home, some say it's somewhere else, but here's what I want you to know about this home. It was a place where Jesus was both wanted and welcomed, right? Okay, so here's what I want to say about that. This ought to be a place. My heart, this body, the temple, ought to be a place where Jesus is wanted and welcomed. And it will be if, in fact, Jesus is Lord. Now, it's noise that he's in the house. And immediately, many were gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. That's all we'll get to cover this evening because, well, I'll have to cut that short. But... Uh, <clears throat> in one of my pastorates. We had a lady that I would have bought her gas for her to go to any church she wanted to go to if she would just smile. She made her way in she came in by the organ side. I mean, she was a lady that, uh, she just made an entrance. She came in at two minutes to 11, walked all the way across, sat down on the third pew, and sat there with her arms folded, looked at me with a snarl on her face, and then... At 12 o'clock sharp, her mind went to another planet. One Sunday morning, she came out the back door. I should have known something was up, but, you know, I'm given the benefit of the doubt. I'm standing there, and she's standing over here. She's waiting for those who are like-minded. That was one other lady. I mean, this is a bitter woman. She is. She, she's just bitter. And so finally, when that other lady got there, she walked up to me in front of everybody that she could get around, and she went, tapping her watch. And I called her name, and I said, yes, ma'am. There are times when the service goes long. And I looked at her watch, and it was between 12.10 and 12.15. Every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. And she made her exit. Now, <clears throat> I am not prone to too much violent action. 
My wife and I have never rode together to church. It's just not safe. <laughs> I got in my car. And I got thinking about that. And the more I thought, the madder I got. Passed by the road, it went to her house, and I'm just fuming. I get down to the, to the traffic light where I turned to go to my house, and I've made my mind up. I am going to her house. And I'm turning around to go to her house, and I'm going to go have some less than friendly words with that dear lady. And what made it so sad is her husband it was a former pastor. Uh, you know, he's got a special crown. I mean, he's got to have and uh, when I turned around, I turned in, and there was a service station there, and I turned in it so I could go back to her house, and I got tickled. I started laughing, and I thought, here is a lady who in her mind at least has placed holy God in a box. The box for her was the church house. She was giving God one hour a week. And she was saying, now God, if you're going to say anything or do anything, it must be between 11 a.m. and 12 noon. That's it. I wonder how many 21st century church goers there are who try to put God in that same box. Now, if you doubt what I'm saying in the next few days, just ask individuals to describe their church. And see how many times you hear some key words like typical or ordinary. Oh, we're typical Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal church. What in the earth does that mean? Usually it means something like this. We come, we sit, we stand, we sing, we sit, we soak, we squirm, we separate. I just thought of squirm today. <laughs> it usually means that nothing of the Spirit really transpired. Well, folks, I'm tired of church being that way. Church is never intended to be that way. In Mark chapter 2, uh, there are some things that I honestly believe will confront us and challenge us. 
in the first seven verses, they're the groups at the gathering. And in verses 8 through 12, there's God in the gathering. Now, I don't like to be placed in groups with others unless I place myself there. And then I always reserve the privilege of removing myself from that group without gaining permission from anyone. I really don't like labels. You see what the label means to me, it may not mean that to you. I was having a discussion once and around the table and one of the ladies, it came up and she said, I asked what I was. And she said, you're a fundamentalist. I said, oh, why would you say that? Now, do you know why she called me a fundamentalist? Because I preach loud. <laughs> and in her mind, that made me a fundamentalist. Now, if you will use my definition of fundamentalist, I will gladly wear the label. You see, they are fundamentals of the faith. I believe in the divine inspiration of Scripture, in its original giving, and that includes the Genesis account of creation. That's a fundamental for me. I believe in the miracles of the Old and New Testament. That's a fundamental for me. I believe in the virgin conception and birth of Jesus Christ. That's a fundamental for me. I believe that he lived sinlessly, that he died vicariously, and that he rose bodily. That's a fundamental for me. I believe that he is coming Again, to receive his bride. That's a fundamental for me. I believe in a future kingdom where he will reign. Those are fundamentals. And so, if by believing those fundamentals, you want to call me a fundamentalist, that's okay. However, if you want to call me a fundamentalist and say that I am a cold-hearted, judgmental, legalistic Pharisee, then I reject your definition. You see what it means to me, it may not mean the same to you. Now, in the groups, what we're going to see, there are five different groups here. And we're going to look at one of them. But what we will see is we will stand before the mirror of Scripture. And if we're honest, we'll see ourselves. Now, the first group is in two verses that I read, and that's the hungry. These individuals are gathered together They probably have heard about the miracle of the cleansing of the leper. Word of Jesus is spread. Jesus is in the house, 
And the more the word of Jesus spreads, the larger the crowd becomes. Jesus is drawing individuals to where he is. And it is word of mouth. Now, I want to, I want to ask you to do something. The absolute best thing you can do for Dublin First Baptist Church. You don't need to write this down. You just need to do it. Brag on your church. Brag on your church. Word of mouth. Brag on your church. Brag on your music. Brag on your youth. Brag on your staff. Brag on your church. It is my studied opinion that these people have gathered here because they're seeking something that they haven't found anywhere else. I believe these people are gathered here because they have hearts that are hungry to hear what the Lord has to say that will impart real satisfaction to their hearts. It is absolutely impossible for you or me to give someone else an appetite. You can't do it. You notice when you're sick, what, what happens? Everybody becomes a food pusher. You got to eat. You got to eat. You got to eat. I had an extended stay in the hospital in the mid-70s. And I couldn't eat. I begged them to open that tray out in the hall. The aroma would make me nauseous and sick. And they wouldn't do it. They don't let up. I just oh, make me sick. Well, you know there are not too many people that can ruin breakfast, but I found there's some people who can. I mean, <laughs> but I also discovered that if you go to bed hungry, you you'll eat. That's where I learned to eat oatmeal. There's no kids in here, so I'll tell you, I never could eat oatmeal because to me it looked like it already been eat one time. So, but. But that's where I learned to eat oatmeal, was in the hospital. Because you put enough brown sugar on it and, you know, and other stuff, you could eat about anything. But the point is this, folks. You can't give anybody else an appetite. And you can't give anybody else a spiritual appetite either. You can pray for them, and you could encourage them, and you can do all of that, but you can't give them an appetite. These people are there, in my best opinion, because they're hungry to hear what Jesus has to say. And look at it. He didn't disappoint. What does he do? And he preached the word to them. Now, I use humor and I tell stories, and I started to tell those as if they were about somebody else. 
but they were about me, so I just go ahead and tell you it was about me. He preached the word to them. Now, Jesus used stories and parables in his teaching, but he preached the word. He gave them what they needed that would bring fulfillment and satisfaction to their hearts. I had just surrendered to the ministry and uh, an older gentleman in the church, well, to me he was old then, to me everybody was old, but uh, wanted me to go with him to revival service and we went down the road and uh, the church was full and it was a younger man preached And two nights later, we were going to another revival service. And the man that was doing the preaching was outside, and my friend knew him. And I was standing there listening to their conversation. And my friend said, ah, he didn't preach. And I listened. And I wondered, were we in the same service because I can tell you to this day what that man preached I can tell you his text I can tell you the title of his message I can tell you how many people were saved and I can tell you the altar was filled he preached from John chapter 19 the title of his message was the scandal of the cross there were seven people saved and you couldn't get to the altar And yet two nights later, my friend said to this other preacher, he didn't preach. Now here's why he said that. Because he didn't take his tie off and spit four rows back. Because he'd been to seminary and because he had a little bit of dignity about him. Now folks, I'm talking 50 plus years ago. My friend said he didn't preach. I don't think my friend knew what preaching was. I don't. Jesus preached the word. I don't think Jesus ever raised his voice. But I think what Jesus said communicated to his audience the fact that they were loved unconditionally that he received them, and that he had words of life. He preached the word to them. Their hearts were hungry, and he ministered to them where they were. One last story about that same man. We had a Saturday evening prayer meeting in our church, men and young men, And I was dating my wife at the time, and I'd take her home, and I'd come to that prayer meeting. And I would hear him pray, Lord, just let a few crumbs fall from the table. I heard that, and I heard that. And finally, it it bothered me, and I didn't know why it bothered me. And then it dawned on me why it bothered me. It bothered me because... 
I wasn't a beggar. That when the Lord saved me, I became a child of the king. And a child of the king places his feet under the king's table and dines with the king. And I didn't have to beg for crumbs. The old song says, come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitudes turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. And folks, I'm not a beggar. And if I confess my sin, I dine. When my heart is hungry, he has the answer. I can come to him and he meets my needs. First group at this gathering of the hungry. So are you hungry? Nobody here can give you an appetite. But you ask the Holy Spirit. He gives the hunger. Father, Thank you for your word and the time to be together this evening.